So we have, uh, we've said, and we have a banner hanging in our entry cafe area that uh, it says we, we want to be a people that are defined by three things. We want to be defined by hope, faith, and love. We, we pull those three things from 1 Corinthians 13. It says at the end, these three abide, faith, hope, and love. And uh, we want to be a people as a church defined by those three things. So uh, just to recap quickly, our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is what the Bible says, the anchor for our souls. Our hope for salvation, our hope for eternal life rests in Jesus alone. All right, Our faith is a real faith. It's not uh, some abstract um, uh, you know, force from a galaxy far, far away or anything like that. Our faith is real um, and it's daily walking out bold, um, passionate obedience for Jesus. That's, and so we want to, uh, we rest in hope, we walk in faith. And then lastly, we talk about love. Our love is, is the love of Christ. It's Jesus's love. We have received his love. And so we, we want to, like we did this morning, we come in here, we come together, we, we live our lives this way, but we, we pursue God in loving worship, and then we pursue one another as a family, and we pursue others with the gospel. It's all about um, pursuing in love, pursuing God with love, pursuing one another in love, and pursuing the world with love. Um, so talking specifically about love, what I want to tell you is the church... Um, puts on display the love of Jesus. So um, if you've got one of the teaching outlines, you'll see that the headline there is talking about church and church membership in particular um, puts Jesus' love on display. The world uh, is really confused about what love is. So the world would tell you that love is this uh, uncontrollable sense of emotion that's directed in a particular direction. Um, love would talk about uh, specifically love for two people and would say that this, it's this romantic kind of love that just gets in you, this warm, fuzzy feeling, and you just can't help what you think or feel or do as a response to this emotion. Well, uh, I even saw a bumper sticker the other day that looked like this. It had the little emojis. And these are the emojis. It says uh, um, heart emoji plus heart emoji equals marriage was the bumper sticker. And um, I thought to myself... You know, I don't know a lot, but I know there's way more to that equation than just heart plus heart. All right. And if you're not married in the room, um, I hate to be a shocker to you, but we'll have premarital counseling classes after this uh, if you want to sign up. And we're all laughing. All the married people in the room are laughing because we know better. Right. It's not just heart plus heart equals marriage. That's it's not. It's not all butterflies and warm fuzzies. Like love, real love is distinctly different than what the world wants to tell you it looks like. And all the portraits of Hollywood that you see of what married life or what sex or what intimacy looks like, they're just not true. And I want to tell you, don't buy the lie. If you want to know what love looks like, get to know Jesus. All right? I want to give you three things, three quick statements. You could read 1 Corinthians 13 and get a great definition about love. But let me just give you three statements. Real love, real love is a choice. So if you've if you got a teaching guide, this is where we start with the blanks, okay? Real love is a choice. 
You know, there, there are times in a relationship that you just don't feel like it, but you choose to pull in close. You know, um, you make the choice. The romance, the warm fuzzies are not there, and you have to make a disciplined, committed choice. That's just real love, right? Secondly, real love speaks truth. Real love speaks the truth. You know, when you're dating, you say all kinds of things that, you know, might be true. <laughs> Honey, that dress looks great on you, or things like that, right? They might be true, but real love speaks the truth. Um, a few nights ago, I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, getting ready for bed, and I'm standing there in front of the mirror, I'm just brushing my teeth, and Lauren walks in, comes up behind me, just kind of starts rubbing my shoulder. And I thought to myself, oh, this is nice. Then she goes, you have a nasty mole back here. <laughs> you need to get this thing looked at. And I was like, that's not so nice. <laughs> Real love speaks the truth, right? If you went to the doctor, deathly ill with cancer, and he told you, you know, um, take a few aspirin, you'll be okay. That's not loving, is it? Here's the thing. Real love actually requires truth. Like, has to have truth. Or it's not love. Thirdly, real love demands commitment. Real love demands commitment. This is the one I think that our culture rejects the most. Because we're very non-committal people. We're kind of an independent and we'll do my own thing. I want my, my, my. We love our autonomy. We don't like anybody stepping into our world with authority or even sharing our autonomy. We like our own way. But real love demands commitment. Um, you know, when love gets tough, there's a saying in our culture, when, when, uh, when things get tough, the tough get what? Going. Going. That's true. And here's what they mean by that. When my marriage gets tough, I'm going to get going. Because there's not a real commitment there. But real love says when, when loving gets tough, I'm committed to love through it. Real love demands commitment. Aren't you thankful that this is the way Jesus loves us? So get this. He has chosen to love you. He chose to love you. Jesus chooses to love you this morning. And don't buy the lie that you're just that lovable. Jesus loves you in spite of you. He loves me in spite of me. It's not because I'm any more lovable than anybody else. It's just because He's chosen to love me. That's real love. He's making a choice in this moment. It doesn't mean I deserve it. It's by His mercy and grace. So His love steps into my world with mercy and grace, but it does come in with the truth. Jesus speaks truth into my life. He loves me just the way I am, but He loves me enough not to leave me that way. Does that make sense? He loves you enough to not leave you in your mess. And so he's going to tell you, you're a mess. I love you. Real love speaks the truth. And then aren't you thankful that the love of Jesus is committed? It's committed to you. We just watched two brothers get baptized from death to life. They've come into a relationship with Almighty God. Aren't you thankful that when times get tough, God doesn't bail on you? He's the most faithful husband the world has ever known. 
We have a whole book in the Old Testament called Hosea, and it's the portrait of the kind of love that God is for His unfaithful wife. He's constantly loving an adulterous wife. That's you and me. We are an adulterous people, but God is the faithful husband who is committed to love you in spite of you. I'm thankful He loves us this way. And so... When we talk about pursuing in love, we talk about it through the lens of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Um, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give you. Say the word commandment. Commandment. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you that you love. Say love. love. That you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. Ooh, right? That's where it gets real. Because we just described his love as a love that is a choice. It's a love that speaks the truth and a love that is committed. Mm. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he says, it's by this that all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's by this love for each other that people are going to look and go, something different about those people. That Mountain View Church, man, they're an odd bunch. Why do they love each other? Hmm. Jesus. Jesus. That's it. Jesus commands us to love one another just as He has loved us. So we're to love one another just like Jesus loves us. When you come into a saving relationship with Jesus, Christ, God, the judge of all creation, becomes your father. Right? That's the picture in the New Testament. We've been adopted by a father. And Romans chapter 8 says it's by the Spirit of God that we call him Abba. That's, (laughs) Abba is the the Aramaic word for, for daddy. It's the intimate word a toddler would say to his dad. It's by the Spirit of God inside of us that we can look at the Creator of the world and say, Daddy, that's crazy. So we have a new father, but you know what? We have a new family. And that's what this thing right here that you're doing is meant to be. It's meant to be a family. I want you to imagine for a minute that um, my wife and I travel, we get on a plane, we we go across the ocean, we land in, we'll just say China. We land in China, and our goal there is to adopt a little boy. We go into this orphanage um, there in Southeast Asia, and we walk in, and um, we meet this little boy. First time we've really laid eyes on him. We, we, uh, we've paid all the fees. We've done all the stuff. We, we've done all the paperwork. The judge finally approves stamps and signs. Um, This adoption is final. This little boy has our last name. He's got a new daddy, right? And we get on the plane, we fly home, and I go, okay, you got a new dad, but you got to stay out there in the shed because this is where my girls eat. You can't come eat at the table with the family. Isn't that ridiculous? It's far from ridiculous. The picture of adoption isn't just a new relationship vertically. It's a new covenant relationship horizontally. And we're to live just as much in covenant with God Almighty as we are in covenant with one another. 
And I want to tell you, the New Testament doesn't even make sense outside of the portrait of a covenant church, covenant-keeping people. We've got the letters of Paul written to the church in Rome, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae. It's written to local churches that are committed to living together and doing life together. The whole book doesn't even make sense outside of family, a covenant fellowship of people, covenant people, committed people who love one another as a choice. We speak truth to each other. We're committed to one another. So I'm talking today about biblical membership, church membership, and how membership puts on display the love of God. Our culture needs to think radically differently about church membership. And I hope you know that in good Mountain View style, we don't do membership like every other church. Um, we're a little different, okay? And it's because we want to be intentional. We, we want membership to matter. We don't want to just have a bunch of people's names on a roll that we haven't seen in a few years. Okay? Those people are not members in this church. Because we're not speaking truth to them. We're not loving them as a choice. And we're not committed to them. And they're not committed to us. They're not members. We're not displaying the love of Jesus in that way of membership. So what I'm telling you is we don't, we're not doing it that way. We want to do membership in a way that matters, that we, that we look at the New Testament and we go, okay, this is kind of what that means. And maybe in your heart you're thinking, well, why, why do membership anyway? What's the point of membership? Is that even in the Bible? And I would say to you, if you think about membership in the way that you think about a membership at Sam's Club or the Golf Country Club or some other civic organization, then I would say, no, that's not in the Bible. Those people are not committed to you. They're not dedicated to you. They just, all they want from you is your uh, monthly membership dues, and then they're going to provide a service for you um, contingent on your membership dues. There's no relationship there. You have a business transaction, right? We're not talking about business transactions. We're talking about people who are saying we are now brothers and sisters because we have a new daddy. It's different. So if you're thinking church membership in a Sam's Club type of mentality, of course that's not in the Bible. But if you're thinking about brother, sister, family, you can't read the Bible and not see it. So here's some symptoms that you might have a low view of church and ultimately a jaded view of membership. And I think a lot of us do. I'll admit I do. I've been in settings where I'm like, membership doesn't even matter. And I'm telling you, that's not the case here. Symptoms you may have a wrong thinking about the church. Christians, here's one. Christians think it's fine to attend a church indefinitely without connecting and committing through membership. Here's what that says. You have a low view of the church. It doesn't really matter. Um, you're just dating her. Um, people would say to you, probably, if you dated the same girl for 15 years, um, she would probably say to you, hey, dude. Where's this thing going? Right? Because there's something about a relationship that needs to have an established commitment. Okay, so if you date the church that way, you probably have a low view of your established relationship with God's people. 
Secondly, Christians view, you may have a low view of the church, if you view your salvation, your sanctification, your prayer um, as an individual experience. Think about this for a minute, because as I was writing this out, the Lord was like, boom, you're not good at this. And the Spirit of God hit me with some conviction, and I thought about the way that I pray. Most of the time, my prayers are individualistic. I pray about me a lot. I hate to admit that to you, but I just do. But how did Jesus teach us to pray? You know the Lord's Prayer? Do you know it? What's the very first word? Our Father, who art in heaven. It goes on down. Give who this bread? Give us our daily bread. Forgive who our trespasses? Us. Do you see the plurality, the nature of, of community, even in the way the Lord teaches us to pray? He says even prayer is a togetherness activity. I'm not calling you to follow me individually. I'm calling you to follow me in a fellowship, in a committed covenant body of people. So we um, Christians, we view our salvation and sanctification and prayer, daily following of Jesus as an individual personal experience. I could give you a lot more of these things. Let me just share one more. Christians don't share in life's celebrations or life's grief. This is a sign that... Um, you have a low view of the church body. If you are suffering, you go to the people that matter to you most to find comfort, right? The letter to the Corinthians says, comfort those who are hurting with the comfort that you've received when you were hurting. It's it's, it's uh, implied that you're going to have this relationship that you're going to run to in the moments you're grieving and hurting. You're going to run to the people that love you and that are committed to you and you're going to go to them for comfort. Another thing that happens um, when you're celebrating, let's just suppose that um, you, you get a, Dave gets a promotion at work and his job promotes him. And he comes to the, to the church and he's like, guys, I got a promotion this week. My need to celebrate with Him, you know what it does? You know how the Spirit of God uses that? You know what it does? He squashes envy in me. Because I, I have to go, why didn't I get a promotion? I didn't get a promotion this week. What in the world? Why does He get a promotion? I work harder than He. And the Spirit of God goes, uh-uh. Celebrate with that brother. And I have to go, uh I reject this envy. And I celebrate with pure joy with my brother. So true Christians who cherish brother and sister type of family, the, the church, we, we grieve together. We celebrate together. It, it transforms us. It's a sanctifying work. We're sanctified together. It's the way that Jesus intended it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we, we don't see God saying, I'm making for myself holy persons. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm... I'm Making a holy nation, a priesthood, a people for my name's sake. I'm not making holy individuals. I'm making a holy nation, a people, a corporate gathering. I want you to uh, look at some scripture with me. Time's getting away. First John chapter 1. Would you stand in honor of God's word? First John chapter 1. <coughs> That which was from the beginning, 
I want you to notice the, the first person plural pronouns that the Apostle John uses. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, which, and, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. I want you to see the plurality of what John is saying. It's all about we and us and our, isn't it? We, us, our. Here's the thing. The church is a we thing, not a me thing. You can be seated. Um, I need to move quickly. I just want to walk through um, the statements that I want to make. Don't be scared at how much we have left on the notes. I promise I'll be mindful of your time. But I do want you to get the truth. Here it is. 1 John 1 teaches us at least these three things. Fellowship with God equals fellowship with the church. With His people. Fellowship with God equals fellowship with the church. He says in this text, and we're, we're proclaiming this to you, we're telling you about this Jesus that we've discovered, we're telling you about Him so that you may be one of us. We're trying to tell you about the hope you can have so you can be a part of this fellowship. Secondly, fellowship with God is a group experience. It's a group experience. As you read through this passage, he's experiencing everything that you would think is intimate and personal. Like, if we sin, if we confess our sin. Now, how often do you do that on a public, corporate, communal type of level? The things that you think probably are the most private, the Apostle John says, it's not. It's a fellowship kind of thing. Do you know that James 5.16 actually tells us to confess our sins one to another? This is a sermon for another day, but I'll tell you this. When you confess to God, you get forgiveness. When you confess to brothers and sisters, you get healing. Did you hear that? That's what James 5.16 says. Confess your faults one to another and be healed. When we confess to God, we're forgiven. When we confess to one another and pray, we get healing. So fellowship with God is a group experience. Thirdly, fellowship with God is personal, but it is not private. There's nothing about what we saw this morning that was private, right? It was very public. Although it's a display of a very private uh, interaction with God, right? 
Everything that happened in their heart was between God and them as individuals. But what we saw this morning is, is the expression to say that fellowship with God is personal. It's intimate. But it is not private. It's a public thing. So the church is a family. If God is your father, then the church is your eternal family. And many of you would say, well, yes, in eternity, we're going to be united with all peoples everywhere. That's the universal church. Here's the thing. That universal church that we all say, yes, all believers everywhere, every people, tribe, tongue, and nation are gathered around the throne. With those people, we cannot specifically obey all the one another commands of Jesus apart from a local expression of the universal church. We need this little collective body in order to obey Jesus Christ. All right, let me give you four quick things. Here we go. Biblical membership means commitment. So we talk about membership in the body. Biblically, what we're saying is it means commitment. Real love demands commitment. It's what we've said. So Hebrews 10, 23 and 13. Uh, t- uh, sorry, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Talks about um, the faith family gathering together. And the apostle writes, uh, the writer says... Um, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but spur one another up toward love and good deeds. And that all sounds good until you realize he's writing to a church that is uh, scattered uh, all over the place because of persecution. Persecution. They're being killed, slaughtered. And he's writing to the church that has been dispersed to tell them, don't forsake gathering together just because it might kill you. Biblical membership means commitment. Think about this. If we, Jesus, or the scriptures describe the church as a temple. If you were going to build the temple, would you put a brick right here and then another brick, you know, right here and then another brick over here? Of course not. It's not how you build walls. But the Bible says that we are living stones and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And if we're going to be the temple, we've got to be intricately connected to one another, bonded with like mortar and put these bricks stacking one on the other so that we're strong. A strong temple requires commitment to one another. A flock has sheep. How many sheep? Well, the song we sung a minute ago was a portrait of how God is a good shepherd that cares even about the one that went missing, right? So that shepherd that we're seeing in the picture of, how many sheep did he have? 100. And we celebrate the fact that he went after the one, right? What was the point of going after the one? To bring him back to the other 99. Does that even make sense? How how God loves the church so much. We're so caught up that we're the one. We miss the fact that he wants the one with the other 99. Biblical membership means commitment. Secondly, biblical membership means taking responsibility. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ as a body with many members, hands, feet, ears, eyes, nose, all the parts of a body. Um, A couple of years ago, I I pulled my truck into a friend's driveway and uh, it was kind of, you know, backwoods driveway, no gravel, no nothing. I just pulled into his grassy lot next to his house and I opened the door, and my truck's high off the ground. I went to put my foot down, and I anticipated the ground being here. And there was a big hole, and the ground was actually here. <laughs> so that 10 or 12 inches meant a broken ankle for me. Because I, I dropped down, and here's the thing. As soon as my body weight landed on that ankle as it bent over, 
I heard crunch. And you know what happened? Every other member of my body went to the rescue of my ankle. I mean, every part of me. The, the rest of my body acted like a, a crash test car that just crumpled, right? It just sort of melted under the weight so as to get the weight off that ankle. My hands, which are so far from my ankle, they're not even near my ankle. But my hands immediately rushed to the pain, right? My mouth said all kinds of words that I can't say <laughs> this morning um, to, to, to get that pain out in the world, right? Um, the parts of my body that were not connected to that hurt, they took responsibility for the pain. Does that make sense? That's the portrait the Apostle Paul's writing about. Um, I think about another illustration. If you want to do, a, do an activity really well with excellence, it requires your body parts to work efficiently together. I didn't get to go yesterday, but um, one of our students, Hall Billings, is, uh, is playing baseball. He's just killing it at Donahoe, and Judson, his brother's playing um, they're doing really well. I watched them Friday, but I didn't get to go yesterday. But I did see pictures. Anderson Starr posted some pictures last night. And there's a picture of Hall fielding a ground ball. And I was just looking at the, the formation of his body. is so athletic. Like every, every position, every piece and part of his body is doing the thing that it takes to field that ball and then pivot and throw a bullseye to first base. Can you do that? If your body parts are not in sync and taking responsibility for one another. Absolutely not. In order to accomplish what Jesus has called his church to do, we've got to be responsible for one another. There's no way around it. Thirdly, biblical membership means salvation affirmation. Now, I want to be super clear here. You don't have to be a member of a church to be saved. That's not what we're saying. What I'm saying is, when a church says you are a member, it is that church publicly endorsing that they believe, as best they can tell, that you are a Christian. I want you to realize how heavy that makes membership in the church. It means that that church is actually saying to the world around, we believe this person is a follower of Jesus Christ. So that means we can't just let you go rogue and disappear for two years. Like, we've, we've got to go after the one. Membership matters because it's salvation affirmation. 1 John 2.19, the Apostle John, he writes, you can just turn the page if you want to, and he says... Um, they went out from among us, meaning they left the church, they left the fellowship of God. He says, because they were not of us. What he means there is they, they left the fellowship of God because they weren't truly of God. That's how closely the scriptures paint this covenant commitment to God as Father with covenant commitment to God's people. Fourthly, biblical membership is meaningful. And I'm wrapping up right here. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, we always, we love this verse, these verses, but we, we think of them very personally. Jesus says, if any man wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Anyone who wants to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Here's what I want to tell us today. Jesus is recruiting an army 
Listen, the church of Jesus Christ is an army. We're an army with marching orders from our king and our commanding officer, Jesus Christ. So for us to make enlistment in the army or um, basic training totally meaningless and just wash it out as if it doesn't matter, it's detrimental to our mission as a people. We are the army of God. We're soldiers of God. And we're maybe, as a church, we're a, a platoon. And what I'm telling you about membership is I don't want to be the, the pansy platoon. Okay? I don't want to be the platoon of people that is full of people who are half-hearted, half-dedicated, double-minded. Maybe they're there, maybe they're not. I want to look around in this battle that we're in and I want to know who's with me. Do you? If we're fighting against a very real enemy who's seeking to devour us, I need to know who I'm in lockstep with. I need to know who's committed. That's what real love is, remember? It's commitment. So when we talk about membership, that's what we're talking about. It's commitment to a body that matters. So I want to give you two ways to respond this morning. One. You've seen and heard salvation. You've seen and and heard baptism. You've seen and heard the impact of the gospel. And maybe in your heart, you're like, I've never experienced Jesus like that. I've never been adopted by God. He's not my father. But the idea of having a new father and having a new family and, and the truth of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins and He's risen from the dead that you can be forgiven and have a relationship with Him. That's the gospel. And if you need the gospel today, surrender your life. Become a son or a daughter of Almighty God. And enjoy a family. Secondly, if you're challenged today to think differently about the church, then think differently about the church. Don't let yourself continue to be jaded or continue to think, you know what, commitment, membership, that's, that's hogwash. It's not. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, here's what it takes. His standards were pretty stinking high. It would be ridiculous for us to lower that bar to say, hey, if you want to follow him with us, it's real easy. Secondly, or here it is, secondly, if you been challenged to think differently, to take commitment to the body of Christ seriously, then I want you to take that little card, that little welcome card, and there's a spot on there that says, I'm interested in being a member. I want you to write your name and your information, a cell phone number or something on there. You say, I'm interested in being a member of Mountain View Church. I'm going to talk more next week about what that actually looks like. I'm going to spell it out for you. Here's what's expected. Here's what real love, committed love looks like at Mountain View. So we started this morning talking about love, and I want to finish that way. Um, May 23rd, 2009, my romantic butterfly love came into a real commitment. May 23rd, 2009 is the day that uh, I married my beautiful wife. I stood before God and probably 300, 300 or more people. Um, And we held hands, we exchanged rings, um, we exchanged vows, words of 
dedication and commitment. We looked each other in the eye and said, I'm in this thing. I'm with you. When you look around, nobody else is there. I'm there. We made real commitment. You know what? Nobody, nobody um, came to me that day and said to me, Justin, man, this whole institutional, like, organized ceremony thing you're doing, it's really going to ruin the organic nature of your marriage. Nobody looked at me that day and said, hey, these vows you're exchanging, well, why, why do you have to say those things? Why do you have to be legitimately committed to your wife? Why, why, why? Can't you just love her romantically? Why, why, why enter into commitment like that? Nobody said to me, you know, there's no need for, or nobody said to her, there's no need for you to change your name. Why do you, why do you want to change your name? Why do you want to, you know, come into, why do you want to do that? Nobody said that. It's because in some areas of our lives, we're okay with commitment. What I'm telling you is if we're willing to make that kind of life commitment in an earthly relationship, we should be even more willing in an eternal forever family. To be able to look at one another and go, I'm with you. You can count on me. I'm here. I want to call you to think differently about the church. It's more than you think. Let's pray.